Okay. Good morning again. Please turn to the book of First Peter, chapter one. I'll be reading First Peter chapter one, verse seventeen. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Father, once again on this second week in this verse, let it hit and rest upon us. And by your grace and by your mercy, by the work of your Spirit, cause the heaviness of what hits to be rest in Christ, joy in Jesus. for the sanctification of our souls and the glory of His name. Amen. This is the second week in verse 17, the second week of discussing, I think I've titled it something like, Live in the Light of the Judgment. The final judgment to come. Last week... We concentrated on the main point of verse 17, which tells us, church-going people, live, conduct, do your life in fear. In other words, fear the outworkings of your life that they're not evidencing a pattern of a person who does not trust in God, but instead evidencing in its direction a pattern that faith is real in you. Now this week, in part two, what I want to do is come back to the part of the text called God will judge and deal with that. What is that day that the Bible talks about, about the day of the Lord, the judgment Day. In the judgment it will be such and such. Verse 17 says, The Father judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So, what is the final judgment? Will Christians be judged? Are there different Judgments. That's what I was taught as a Christian back in the early 1980s. I, I was taught at one time there were three different judgments. I won't go into that at this moment. But is that what it, what's going on? Uh, is the judgment seat of Christ, is that different than the great white throne? Judgment. At judgment, for Christians, what's it about? Is it about 
going there and only receiving rewards? Or is that judgment about the final verdict in a courtroom of your eternal vindication? Okay. So, here in a synopsis is my answer. And then we're just going to say the answer again for the rest of the sermon. So you know exactly what I'm going to contend. There is only one final judgment day that is coming where believers and unbelievers in their resurrected bodies will stand before the Lord. The saved and the unsaved. And the saved will receive differing degrees of rewards and the condemned will receive differing degrees of punishment. Now, in one place, I'm going to look at it first. This day is referred to as the great white throne. So, either turn there or listen to Revelation chapter 20. Starting with verse 11, the word of the Lord says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, notice that unbelievers are there. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. Their names are not written in the book of life. And unbelievers will receive differing degrees of punishment. They will be judged justly. They will be judged, it says, according to their deeds. So, in other words, Adolf Hitler will be there. Give me an example. So will sweet apple pie making Mrs. Smith. Both are sinners. Born into sin. And in all our so-called movements and even do, good doing or vicious, murderous, holocaust doing, we're all condemned justly 
unless Christ has become our substitute. So you have, for instance, Adolf Hitler, and you have sweet Mrs. Smith. They'll be there, and they'll hear the final verdict of condemned. But all of their punishment won't be equivalent. They will be judged according to their deeds. Let me just give you a couple of texts. Just feel it. In Luke chapter 12, verses 47 to 48, Jesus said, using a parable, and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many, hear the comparative here, many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of blows will receive but few. Or in Matthew 11, verses 22 to 24, Jesus said to this, about the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida, it will be, hear the comparative, more tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Or Luke chapter 20, verses, verse 47, Jesus said, says that the scribes and the Pharisees will receive, quote, the greater condemnation. There are degrees that just are implied throughout. God is not dumb, stupid, nor unjust. Now, not only will believers be there, I mean, excuse me, unbelievers but believers will be there. The book of life will be opened and their names will be found in it. What I want to do is I want to just first start and just inundate us with a few texts and just listen and let those texts hit you. Because the question that I'm asking now for the rest of the sermon, because this is my main concern now, with believers on the day of judgment is what happens there. Is it merely rewards? Or does it have anything to do with that final proclamation saved? In as opposed to out? Or is it both? So, just Trust me, I did not grab them all. I'd be reading for hours. Well, maybe not that long. Just from the New Testament. But let me give you a few. and Just hear it. Feel it. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 and 12 say, For we Christians, he's writing to the church, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then, Paul writes, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. God will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give to them eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, 
for them wrath and fury. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul writes, Therefore do not, Christian, go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until, hear it, judgment day, wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and reveal the motives of people's hearts, and then each one's praise will come to him from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Now, if any man, and he's referring again now to the church here, he's referring specifically to people in ministry, the preachers, the, the elders, the pastor. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. Why? Because the day will show it. Because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each Christian worker's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And Jesus says in Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every person according to what they have done. So, I'm going to hit one more at the moment. And it's the one I want to stick on for a few minutes. Because in that I just want to point out Judgment Day for believers, some things that seem to be clear about that. And that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Here's the question that I think is going through most of our minds. In other words, why will Christians stand before the judgment bar of God in this courtroom if in fact, as a Christian, Christ has already been judged on the cross? For us. I mean, that's what should be in the back. What do we do with these? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Let me just note, and the, this is an argument for his contention, much like our text in 1 Peter. He's saying, essentially in 2 Corinthians, watch how you live. Live to pursue, to please the Lord. Now, why? Here's his answer. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Whether good or evil. Okay. First thing we see is that all people, not just unbelievers, believers, everybody 
will appear before the judge. Not just unbelievers, believers, not just some believers, but all believers. Secondly, Jesus, the Christ, is the judge. It's called the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ. And that same word, this, this old Greek word in this, in this Roman court idea of the bema seat, Paul uses it again in Romans 14, and he says, calls it the bema seat of God. Well, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is eternally God. And as Jesus, as the Christ, this refers to His humanity. And this human being's judgment is in no different than the Father's, the Godhead's. God has given to this man all the power to judge on that day. Just, just, just hear some text for a moment. This is how Paul spoke when he's preaching in Athens in chapter 17 of Acts. Listen to what Paul understands this big picture gospel of Christ to be. He says, quote, God, this is verses 30 and 31, God now commands all men everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this, God has given assurance to all men by raising Him from the dead. Paul, in 2 Timothy 4.1, said, Jesus Christ is to judge the living and the dead. In Acts chapter 10, verse 42, remember Peter's preaching to the household of Cornelius? And in that sermon, he says, God ordered us to testify that this is the one, referring to Jesus in the context, this is the one who has been appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And finally, Jesus says in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 33, but when the Son of Man referring to Himself, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, that's the second coming, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It's the judgment seat of Jesus, of Christ. Thirdly, this judgment comes after death for most people. In the second coming, there will be those who are alive, and instead of dying and being resurrected, evidently they'll just be resurrected or changed in their bodies. But for the most part, it's after death. The Apostle Paul died almost 2,000 years ago. He has not been to the judgment yet. Okay, are you with me? Nor has Nero. 
This is a one-time thing waiting in the future at the second coming when He will resurrect everybody. And they'll stand before the judgment bar. So, as Romans 9.27 says, it is appointed for people, for men, for women to die once. And after that comes the judgment. So there will be, in that final day, this judgment where all who have ever come into being will be there in resurrected bodies and stand before Jesus as the judge. Everybody, Jesus is the judge. And it's going to be after you die. And finally, the text says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, as we stand before Christ as judge, He will judge according to our deeds in this life. Whether good or evil. That is not an isolated idea in the New Testament. That's what our text, 1 Peter says. In Matthew 16, verse 27, Jesus says, quote, The Son of Man is going to come in His glory, or in the glory of His Father, with His angels, and then He will recompense every person according to His deeds. And we saw Revelation 20, verse 12. He said, Behold, I'm coming, and my reward is with me to give, to fish out, to render to every person according to what He has done. See, the way a believer lives is clearly not unimportant. And that's why the Apostle Peter, in our verse, chapter 1, verse 17, uses it as the motivation for how we live. Is this you? Have you been born again? Verse 3. Has something significantly changed in your heart? Yeah, you're still a sinner. This Jesus whom you don't see, He's ascended to heaven. You've never seen Him. But are you one of those who loves Him? You haven't seen Him, but you believe in Him. Thus, there is this uncanny joy that's there. And that's a joy you can even feel while crying, while grieving, while struggling. Is is that real? Peter says, with no contradiction, therefore, live, conduct your life in fear if you're calling on Father, the one who will judge everyone impartially according to what they have done. And so, this brings these big questions. Anyone got questions going on in your mind? It's a moment. Why, why, why should we, as Christians, consider the judgment very significant to us, very practical to us. Now, why are, as we have read these texts, why are deeds, works, our conduct, what we do, how we live, why are they 
the evidence presented to the courtroom before the judge. Are they the evidence presented before the judge for the purpose of declaring who's lost, condemned, and who's saved? Or are they the evidence before the judge to declare for believers the degrees of rewards. I think biblically, because we just we want to be biblical. We want to deal with the texts that we have to wrestle with on this subject. Biblically, the answer is both. Our deeds, that is, our transformed life on that day, will reveal. It's the evidence. Enter into glory, the kingdom, eternal life. And our transformed life, our deeds, our works, will reveal the measure of reward on that day. Now, let me just for a moment, I know. The first one. Huh? Saved? You've got to be very careful. Did I say there that on that day, your works, your deeds, what you did is the reason, is the basis that you will enter into eternal life and not eternal condemnation? I, I didn't say that. But, to, but, but I want to say, because I just think that I have to. Text say, according to what you have done. Now, I'm going to show here in a little bit, eternal life is clearly one of those things as opposed to eternal damnation or wrath. But it sounds, which is the problem, it sounds to the ear, to most minds at first, like a contradiction to salvation by Grace alone, through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace have you been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourself, that's a gift of God. Not by works. Okay, that's clear. Lest any person boasts. Salvation is not of works. Our deeds do not earn salvation. If you ever think they do, you don't get the gospel. That would contradict the grace of the gospel. If you want what you earn, and Paul says, here it is, Romans 6.23. Here's wages. The wages, you want to do something? Get what you deserve? Because look, look, if you work for an employer, you would be offended. You know what? I decided to give you this. 
After you've already agreed on how much an hour you would work for, and you work those hours, you know what He owes you. That's offensive. This is not a gift. I earned that. You know, if He gives you a bonus, then thank you. Those are two different things. But the, the wages, what we earn, the wages of our sin, that's all we have to offer, is death. But Paul says the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, in other words, grace gives salvation as a free gift, period. That salvation is never earned by works or what you do. Well, then, what in the heck are you saying? What are these texts saying, Joe? What do you mean that on Judgment Day, our works will not only be the evidence of rewards, but the evidence of eternal life. Enter in. Well, on that day, so I think this is what I think the Bible's teaching. Look. Look at him. Look at that wretched sinner. See, when I came into their life, okay, see that? See that? You see that? See that? Ooh. Oh, you see that repentance? You, you see that? But, 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 but look at his life compared to just merely good deeds of this person who always despised you, Jesus. Oh, you don't understand. For this person to change in that way, and it just almost came naturally to that person. It's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the results of where I took that person and their evidence of a changed heart in this person that clung to, believed in, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Those deeds for believers will be the demonstration in the courtroom. Your faith was real. It wasn't perfect, it wasn't flawless, and it was never without sin on this side of the grave. But it was real. They're going to demonstrate Faith being real and differing measures of degree of faith. Let me just make this really clear because I've heard over the years, I think this is what is in a lot of Christians' mind. Yes, we're saved by faith, but then when it comes to, when the Bible talks about rewards, those are by works. It depends on what you, you, you mean here. No, listen. We enter into, receive, uh, have, have been given, okay, whatever you want to put it, eternal life. That is salvation, meaning saved from what we deserved and given what we don't by grace alone, through faith alone. And on Judgment Day, along with that, every degree of reward is by grace alone. Through faith alone. 
You do not begin the Christian life by faith. And now, add to that something else. It is a constant pursuit of trust in Christ. Which means, do you believe the one who commands you? And often, okay, look, I'll speak for you, Christian, okay? As a Christian. Often, we, at those moments, don't. That's why we sin. We don't believe that God has our best interest at heart. This is the life of Christianity. Repentance and pursuit. And why you're so desperate to read, to commune with Christ through Scripture. This is why our hearts grow hard. We've all, if you've been around Christianity long enough, you should know this up and down thing. And we're so desperate to have the work of the Spirit through the Word of God, or we become numbed to the reality and the depth of our hardness and our sin. Salvation is by grace through faith. Rewards are by grace through faith. See, on Judgment Day, I can, can you see your faith? Let me pretend I'm Jesus' brother James. Faith? I can't see your faith, he says. You know, someone might say, uh, I have faith, you have works. Show me your faith without works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. On Judgment Day, the invisible thing called faith will be presented with the evidence that it produced. God works. That's in simple way what's going on. What about the thief on the cross? Same thing. When people bring that up, they think, what are you talking about? It's, just, it's in the Bible. It's clear. His works are there. Yeah, he didn't have time to give money to the poor and feed this person or to sit up all night with a dying friend. But he... Did you see Him on the cross? The reason we believe He's in heaven, that we believe He believed in Jesus, is because it's recorded about something He did. Why do you keep mocking Him? We deserve this. That's an enlightenment. He doesn't. You can't see faith. You can see the result of it. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? <sighs> Today you will be with me in paradise. That comment didn't earn his salvation. It was the evidence of it. Our deeds, our works, our actions, our life is not ever the basis of salvation. They are the evidence of salvation. My son Justin, if people don't know us, and we just let's line up dads and stuff and try to say, hey, uh, you don't know anybody. Whose son is he? I think they would f say, you're his dad. Okay? He looks like me somewhat. Doesn't he? Okay. I don't know. 
He, his looking like me is not the basis of him being my son. It didn't cause him to be my son. It's the evidence that he is my son. So, so now then, with this closing, next 20 minutes. Just going to, I want to just go to Scripture now to support, because I just, we just want to talk. Okay, boom. Where I'm just compelled to have to say what I just said. That at Judgment Day, there's two things happening for believers. Upon your life, that's the evidence. Enter into the kingdom. And degrees of rewards. So first, at the final judgment... For believers, a sense in which, I'm going to say it very carefully, because the Apostle John likes, we do, there's a sense we clearly have eternal life. There's a sense in which we are clearly in the kingdom now, but it's not consummated. So if you can f- flow with me on that difference, there's the day where the final official proclamation of the verdict will be on that day. Enter. Eternal life. That is the first, purge, pers, first reason, purpose of Judgment Day for believers is to declare publicly and openly the authenticity of those who belong to Christ, of their genuine faith, evidenced by their deeds. Salvation is by faith through grace alone. Shown by their deeds. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, that we were looking at, we read, when Paul says, quote, each one will receive what is due according to what he <coughs> has done. He means not only receiving rewards, but Our salvation will be in accordance with the results of that faith or those deeds. That's the reason Peter uses that reality as the motivation for our daily Christian pursuit of Christ in how we live. Now, I want to turn to a passage again and read it again slowly. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Because in this text, the Apostle Paul, I mean, to me, it seems to be clear that he is saying, and in the judgment, two things are at stake. Eternal life, and eternal damnation. Picking up there in verse 8-5, he says, quote, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen to him. He, God, will render to each one according to his works. 
to those who by patience in well-doing... Yeah, no, he's not done. Is, it, no, is, this, is this you? Patience in well-doing. Here, here's a hard issue. Seek for glory. He's not saying to glorify me. The glory of God. Seek you're after the glory and the honor and the immortality. This is what the gospel's offering. Is that you? He says, for them, listen to it, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but instead obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and indignation or fury. And then in the Apostle Paul's writings, there are several times Paul lists, and he's indiscriminate. He doesn't care whether a person's a member of the church, a professing Christian or not, and these are written to the churches for the church's sake. And he gives lists of Patterns and lifestyles and says those who practice or live that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. For instance, let me just give you two. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which, Paul says now to the churches in Galatia, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He writes to the church of Corinth, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, verses 9 to 10. Or do you not know, church, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived by 20th century watered-down gospel preaching. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, there's a pattern here, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, he's just saying the patterns, the way, the unrepentant way in which people live or the repentant way in which people live. On judgment day, those lives will be the evidence in the courtroom that Christ Jesus, as the judge will also be your advocate, I 
took her his punishment. Here's the evidence. Look! They're mine. And on Judgment Day, for others, that life will be the evidence of their just proclamation of eternal condemnation. That's what he's saying. Jesus, now listen to how Jesus spoke in John 5. In verse 29, he says, Do not marvel at this, for, here he is now, talking about judgment day. It's coming. Future for him then, it's future still. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And now, watch. Five verses before that. Just five verses. Same context. Jesus just said in verse 24. Whoever hears my word. Hear his word. You hear the message. You hear the gospel. Do you hear the offer? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What are we to make of it? Is he contradicting himself? That's not the first place I'm going to. So when five verses later, he says, those who have done good to a resurrection of life, those who have done evil, I think the interpretation that Jesus, he knows what he's doing, your faith will produce something different than the others in such a way that he says, I could take the result of what it is to believe in me and say, eternal life on that day. And I can take the result of those who have rejected me and thus said, I want to face judgment and get what I deserve. Their life will be the grounds of their condemnation. That's what he seems to clearly be saying. There's no contradiction for him. So God, again, get it. The Justin thing. Or You remember King Solomon? Two women, both had little infants sleeping on a bed, one turns over. Some of us parents know the fear of how that might happen. <laughs> and smothered the baby. Woke up, the baby's dead. She switches her baby with the other baby. So, no, that's my baby. Your baby died in the night. And so they, we got to go to the, the great wise judge, King Solomon. Solomon hears they're both saying, nope, my baby, her baby's dead, and vice versa. Okay, give me a sword. Give me the baby, I'll cut the baby in two, because how am I supposed to know? I'll give you each a half. And of course, one of the women said, No, don't do that. Let her have the baby. And the judge said, Give that woman who said that the baby. It's hers. Why? 
Did she earn the baby? No. Her deed, her act, was the evidence that she was real. The real mother. That's going to happen on Judgment Day. And then secondly, there are differing degrees of reward. The Bible seems to be pretty clear about this. Differing degrees of faith will evidence differing degrees of their actions based upon those deeds. There are rewards. Just Let me give you just a couple texts. Listen. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul writes, again, He who plants... And he who waters, there's this activity of gospel activity going on here. He who plants, he who waters, they're one. But each one will receive, quote, his reward according to his own labor. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8, Paul writes, Whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. It doesn't mean you've earned something. Works of the law. That the Lord is an employer saying, I need something to get done. You do it and now I'm in your debt. i got to pay you. What he's referring to are the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of faith, the fruit of faith, works of a heart of faith that clings to Jesus and watches that grace work. And we look and say, I have nothing to boast about. But to that degree, rewards will be thus the, the, the dispensing of God's grace. Producing the faith, which produces a fruit on the tree. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. Jesus said, when you are persecuted, rejoice And be glad. Why, Jesus? Because your reward in heaven is great. He's not saying, look, you want a paycheck at the end? Just grit it and do it. He says, don't turn. See, that's turned around. He's saying the reality for those who belong to Him. Saying, the reward is the empowerment to rejoice. When you're being persecuted. It's the evidence that you believe in that reward. Luke 19, Jesus tells the parable. Got ten guys, some he gives ten, some he gives five. He says, go work, or he gives ten minus monies to people. Invest, he goes away. Some invest really well. Get ten times the amount. Some invest, but don't do as well, but they got five times the amount. Okay? And he says, great. To you, this is what you're going to get. Ten cities, this is what you're going to get. Five cities. Okay. That's what's going to happen believers. Oh, then there is the unbeliever who bore no fruit. There's nothing there. You weren't real. And he talks, I don't, you can go read it in Luke 19, I think. He, Jesus uses very vicious Words. But so there are differing degrees of reward. So here's the question before we close. How are we to understand those rewards on Judgment Day? Yes, it's work so that I can have a 
better golf course. This is me. This is my thing, okay? In other words, I don't want to get stuck with L.A. County's Alondra Golf Course over here in Dorrance. I mean, it's all right, but I'm on Pebble Beach. Or 12 Virgins. Or more shopping malls. Just trying to reach for whatever your thing is. Or, or is it referring to a 6,000 square foot house in Brentwood as opposed to a 700 square foot house in South Central Los Angeles? I mean, what is he talking about? How should we, when we think differing degrees of reward? Well, to help us, because this has been so helpful to me, I want us to hear Millard Erickson, a systematic theologian, his contemplation on this, because this is where I'm going. This is how I think we should think about it. Millard Erickson writes, The differing rewards or differing degrees of sanctification in, or excuse me, or the differing degrees of satisfaction in heaven are usually pictured in terms of objective, that means outside of you, circumstances, right? For instance, we might suppose that a very faithful Christian will be given a large room in the Father's house. A less faithful Christian will be given a smaller room. But if that's the case, would not the joy of heaven be reduced by one's awareness of the difference and the constant reminder that one might have been more faithful? In addition, the the few pictures which we do have of life in heaven evidence no real difference in the final new heavens and earth. Right? He goes on to write, in other words, you look at these pictures, all are worshiping, all are judging, all are serving. And so, Erickson goes on and says, a bit of speculation may be in order at this point. Speculation is a legitimate theological activity as long as we are aware that we are speculating. That's why I'm reading it to you, because here's his speculation, and I think, I don't know a better answer than the core of what he's getting at than this. May it not be that the difference in the rewards lies not in the external or objective circumstances, but in the subjective awareness or appreciation of those circumstances. What he just said, may it not be that what's going on in this life that will be the evidence and rewards according to such have to do with what's happening in you to one degree or another as opposed to what you will receive outside of you in heaven. Jesus says, 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, do this, lay up for yourselves treasures in the heaven. Now just stop for a minute. Some people were really good starting young and actually have the future in view here on earth. Start putting away in retirement funds. In other words, they don't just live for the moment. They think, I might be alive that day. I want to support my family and my wife and my old age. And so they'll put away more. And the more they put away, the bigger that purse will be. Or not. Okay, now Jesus, of course, is stretching this out to the real, real, real reality of this life and the life to come. Don't live for this life. Store up, not just retirement funds, eternal retirement. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Why? Now here's his key. Because where your treasure is during this life, there will your heart be also. Now, again, is Jesus saying, don't love money? Yeah, He's saying this. It's, It's His analogy. Don't live for the world. Money, things. Don't worship and live for the world. Yes. Why? Because if you live for heaven, you store up in heaven, you let your life be dictated towards the eternal in the helping of others, when you get there, you'll have Pebble Beach and not a county course. I don't think that's what He's saying. I think he's saying, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. To the extent that's going on, your purses are your heart. It is the expansion of our hearts in sanctification to enjoy that place where we're going. In other words, I think what Millard Erickson is saying is right on. Just say it differently this way. That one's capacity, that's the subjectivity here. Not outside of you, in us. One's capacity as a believer, the capacity to enjoy God is being worked out here on earth. In the new heavens, in the new earth, Judgment Day is now done. One's capacity to enjoy God in eternity will be different from another person's capacity. I don't know how else. That, 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 for me, that helps me, that makes better sense than that. I mean, you've got to understand, if, you, if we think that I know I'm going to be a good Christian so that I can have more stuff that's not God to really love. There's something dangerous about that called idolatry. Now, I, didn't, I, don't, I think if I want to golf in heaven, I don't see why I wouldn't be able to golf in heaven. Okay? If you want to do, have, I don't see why that wouldn't be true. But I, I 
I'm really clear that the Bible teaches this. You won't have this unmet yearning for anything. So how else? I don't know how it's all going to work out. But I do know that in a, in a non-boring way, there's a sense in which we will worship God like you can't imagine. In other words, say the same thing again. Don't get all the religious crud out of there. We will be enjoying, delighting in Him unhinderedly like we cannot imagine. Yeah, I said different capacities. Okay. Is anyone going to be bummed out? Uh -uh. In other words, every saved person Every member of the body of Christ will enjoy God to the full. Absolutely. Of their capacity. There will be no frustration in heaven. Some people's cups are just bigger than other people's cups. Or, here's the other illustration. Some of you I've given it to before. Picture it like differing balloons, sizes of balloons. Some balloons are made, you blow them up, and they're about five inches in diameter. Other balloons are bigger, you blow them up, and they're one foot in diameter. Some balloons are three feet in diameter. You have balloons all different sizes. We are balloons. Every balloon is filled to its full. In other words, they're not soft, like I can get a lot more stuff in there. They're tout. They're firm. They're not missing anything. There are differing rewards or sizes of balloons. Or let me just give, say, try to say the bloom thing in a different way if it makes sense. I, I think in my, it was in my late 30s Somewhere close to 10 years ago. All my life I knew, yeah, okay, classical music. I was never into classical music. Didn't, uh, what do you mean? But why is this thing lasted? Most of the classics, by definition, means they've, test, they've gone through the test of time. And, you know, and so for many of them, 150 years, 200, 250 years down the road, there are people just going out of their minds to hear an orchestra play their favorite pieces. And I think, then I started, you know, as you grow up, you, you, we kind of do this. We kind of might question, maybe I'm missing some. Okay, Because I did not have a capacity to enjoy that, because by definition, it's not pop. Pop means just hear it once or twice. You either get it or you don't. If you like it, okay. So I finally decided I'm going to give this a whirl and then go to someone I trust and tell me that the, the easiest or the best of like Beethoven and Mozart and Vivaldi and Tchaikovsky you know, and Gershwin of, of what I should try and then give it a little bit of time, Joe, and it did work for me. Whoa, okay, I'm missing that. And my capacity to enjoy great pieces that stood the test of time. One of those was, and this is a 20th century guy, not too old, a little bit of classical mixed with uh, jazzy's type, Gershwin. And his piece, Rhapsody in Blue, 
And a number of years ago, in Griffith Park, they're going to have the orchestra, and they were going to play Gershwin. And we took the family and the kids, my parents, my sister, my wife. Now, here's the thing. When they got the Rhapsody in Blue sitting near Griffith Park, did my wife and my mom and my dad and my sister, forget about the kids, did they enjoy to the same capacity Rhapsody in Blue like I was and just going out of my mind to just hear it in a park live? It was just something. No, they didn't. Did they enjoy it? Yeah, I think they did. But very different capacities. Now, okay, well, let me use Pink Floyd. Uh, yeah. Oh, same thing, whatever that is. La Does my wife, who, who was not raised on 70s acid classical rock and roll, have the same appreciation? No. Can she enjoy Pink Floyd? Yeah. And last year when we went down to hear a tribute band, uh, she, I think, really enjoyed that music. Because Pink Floyd is very pretty music in a lot of places. Did she enjoy that? Was her balloon as big as mine? I don't think so. Okay. You like those pictures? Here's the day as we're coming to a close here. One, a person is either, on judgment day, is either a balloon or not. Is either, as we, remember, if you haven't heard part one, go back and listen to part one, last week's sermon. One is either justified by Christ and His work alone or not. And then comes the day of judgment as Paul writes it. I think 2 Thessalonians. Why did I forget to write that down? Chapter 1, verse 9, and he says, there are those, these people will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Now, when? Watch. Okay, that's not balloons. Got that? Not balloons. You want to be a balloon. When's this going to happen? Verse 10. When He, Christ, comes on that day to be glorified in His balloons, His saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. To marvel at rhapsody in blue. Marvel at Christ forever. Our pursuit in life here is at its core. Whether the thief on the cross who has a couple hours or you have 40 years, the first may be last and the last may be first, but marvel here because our capacity for the music of heaven is being worked out here before Judgment Day. Finally, my hope, because this has been on this issue, along with Erickson, extremely helpful for my thinking as a Christian on Judgment Day. 
And what we may want if we have the privilege to die slowly on a deathbed, to think about, know the gospel. And that is what John Piper writes. Quote, So what about the last judgment? Will our sins be remembered? Will they be revealed? Picture it like this. God has a file on every person. The books of Revelation 20, remember? All that you have done or said is recorded there with a grade of A to F. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according to what you have done, whether good or bad, God will open the file and lay out the tests with their grades. He will pull out all the F's and put them in a pile. Then He will take all the D's and all the C's and from them pull out the good parts and place them with the A's and put the bad parts with the F's. Then he will take all the B's and all the A's and pull out the bad parts of them and put them with the F's and put the good parts in the A pile. Then he will open another file, the book of life, and find your name. And behind your name will be a wood stick match made from the cross of Jesus. He will take the match, light it, and set the F pile with all your failures, imperfections, and deficiencies on fire and burn them up. They will not condemn you. And they will not reward you. Then He will take from your book of life file a sealed envelope that's marked free and gracious bonus and he will put it on top of the A pile. Then he will hold up the entire A pile and declare by this your life bears witness to the grace of my Father and the worth of my blood and the fruit of my spirit enter into the joy of your master. Let us take what the Apostle Peter is writing to us really to heart. And if you call on the Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Fear living, conducting your life in such a way that shows that you have no faith at all or that you have little faith because that day may show one of two things. That you're not of Christ. Or 
the degrees of rewards. Both are a merciful motivation for our life. So let us pursue storing up treasures in heaven. Not on earth. Resting upon the knowledge of the cross which purchases once and for all eternal life and every reward that will come your way. Father, in differing hearts and differing minds and differing places in life, you're speaking by your Spirit in various ways. I ask that you continue to do that, not just for the rest of our time this morning, but you do this throughout this week, throughout this month. And truly, to one extent or another, throughout the remaining time any of us have here on earth as exiles, to the glory of your Son, Jesus. We're going to...